0: This program contains strong language. Quickie poll Who's most responsible for the Jags franchise performance? His response on Twitter Local sports radio hosts due to their song parodies. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm. I told you I will take a hiatus from any songs about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why? At this and point, and we players. need the losses. If you, but although, if you start singing, <laughs> they'll start winning.
1: Yeah. I a thought, Austin, how yeah. about you go to hell? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We suck again try to get this business off the ground that we ended up having to file bankruptcy. And then the other thing with bankruptcy, like say we had investors in this business, if you don't file bankruptcy, the investors can come after you for money or your house or whatever it may be. And so there was no other option at that point. If I had another option, if I could have sold kidneys, both of my kidneys (laughs) in order to keep that business running, I would have, but I was just out of options. And like I said, I was driving a beer cart at that point in my life. that failure is going to happen. It's a part of it. Don't get discouraged. I mean, it sucks, right? Anytime you fail, it sucks. But it's going to happen. It's about those people that are willing to endure the failures and look for new opportunities. And something else I tell people is 100%. That was the thing. I mean, for a long period of time, I mean, she was the breadwinner, and it was embarrassing, especially as a man who has goals and wants to provide. It was humiliating, honestly. Understand that sometimes success doesn't look like what you expect, and it's okay to change mid-journey because this is a journey that we're on. My name is Aaron Marino. I am forty-four years old. I am living in Atlanta, Georgia, formerly of and from Philadelphia. I have a few different businesses. I've got uh, Pete and Pedro, which is a grooming company. Tish Hanley, which is a skincare company. Alpha M, which is a YouTube channel and really the thing that I started first. Menfluential Media, which is my advertising agency and my most recent venture has been Enemy, which is a high quality sunglass company that doesn't break the bank.
0: So how would most people know you?
1: Most people would probably know me from Alpha M, the YouTube channel. I also do get recognized occasionally from Shark Tank. I was on Shark Tank twice. Yeah, those are pretty much the ways. I'm the loud, obnoxious guy with pointy little ears that jumps around a lot on YouTube. So that's probably how I'm best known.
0: And so you rattled off a lot of companies are like all of them active or is this, Mm -hmm. wow. So how many do you have active right now?
1: No, active, I believe it's five. So, five active companies right now. Those are the ones that I really dedicate the most time and energy. And those are the ones that I need to focus on right now. I have a bad habit as an entrepreneur. I'll see something and I want to chase a shiny object. But uh, last year was really kind of the, I guess, the point where I was like, okay, I don't need to do anything else. I just need to sit back. I need to focus on these businesses and not try to do more than I should or bite off more than I can chew. Because at times, just having these, it's a little bit overwhelming and difficult, honestly.
0: With all these businesses, are you just super time efficient? Because I think most of us have issues just trying to deal with one business, it seems like.
1: Yeah. In terms of time efficient, I'm not sure if it's that as much as it is having a very regimented schedule and just hiring people that I don't have to worry about. So I think that's more of it than anything. I just have some really amazing people around me that help me do what I need to do. And honestly, the main thing that I need to focus on every day is creating a piece of content for YouTube. YouTube is the driver of most of these other businesses. And so that is my number one goal and the thing that I have to do every day. And then everything else kind of filters in and falls around that.
0: Do you ever not want to like make a YouTube video that day? (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like a yes
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 definitely some days are easier than others but yeah it's exhausting to be completely honest there are worse ways to make a buck but youtube is definitely not i know that a lot of people think oh it would be so great just to you know make videos and earn money that way but it's tough i mean youtube is a constantly evolving beast trying to stay creative and relevant for the past like 13 years has been a challenge yeah,
0: I could see that. I mean, mine's less creative, I think, and just doing a podcast and sounds like I would just do a podcast, but it gets exhausting. There's sometimes where I'm like, OK, yeah, I could hammer away probably five interviews in two days. And then there are other times I'm like, I just came off not doing an interview for like a month or two because I'm like, I need a break from doing it. They're still coming out. But luckily, I was able to bank those. I don't know if you do you have a schedule when those have to come out or because you said you're good with the regiment schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even dealing with that, I was curious, do you wake up earlier and go to sleep later? Because it sounds like your schedule, like you said, is what made you efficient and hopefully might be able to help others here too.
1: Yeah, my day, there are a few things that I must do every day. One of them is exercise. And so I have sort of built a routine in my day around creating content, creating a video. I still also edit my videos, which is something that most content creators, once you reach a specific level, they try to offload that. For whatever reason, that has been one of the things that I have not been able to give up. And I don't know if I worry about losing my sort of that the secret sauce as they would, but I still love making videos and I love the editing process and being creative. And I worry that if I gave that to somebody else, I would lose a little bit of just the essence of what has allowed me to become sort of popular and relevant on that platform. And then the other thing is exercise. It's been a part of my life since the age of 12. Every day I exercise and some most days I exercise twice. And so that has been what's allowed me to stay sane. And I attribute exercise to really just what has made me sort of confident and has allowed me to deal with some of the crappy things that happen over the course of a lifetime always having exercise as that constant that I always come back to that's also super important to me and so I do get up early you know typically it's going to be around 6 a.m and then I'll work for a few hours go for a run come back you know eat breakfast then head to the office and start my video and then basically I'll film my video first thing it typically will start around like 11 11 it'll take me anywhere from like an hour hour and a half and then from that point after I do my video I will go and sort of start to touch base with my other businesses whether or not it's Pete and Pedro, T Shanley meetings, or my advertising agency. And then in the evening, after I get finished, basically all that stuff, I'll go home, exercise, go for a walk, lift weights, and then I'll sit there and edit typically until about eight or nine o'clock and then take about an hour just for myself to unwind.
0: Thank you for the rundown. I guess one thing that I'm thinking is like, what percentage of your revenue comes from what? So if it's YouTube, is it mostly through sponsorships? Or can you give us an idea of that?
1: Yeah. I guess there are a few primary buckets. So YouTube is a big revenue stream for me. And the thing about YouTube is I do four videos. I publish four videos a week, and all of them are sponsored. I typically don't do any videos that are not sponsored. Once in a while, once in a blue moon, either I am doing a paid promotion for a brand or I'm promoting my own products, but that's four videos a week that I'm doing. The upside to the YouTube sponsorship is that it's very low in terms of overhead. For these and so it's super profitable some other businesses my pete and pedro grooming company that also is it does as much if not a little bit more in terms of revenue than the advertising for youtube but there's obviously much more overhead you know i've got inventory i've got staff my skincare business that is actually the largest grossing business that i own but that is not the most profitable we spend a lot of money in hiring and just, we are always putting the money sort of back in. And so that one is pretty big business. Let's see what else. The advertising agency does really well. I don't have much to do with that other than talking to my partner, and he sort of runs that with his brother and a good friend of ours, Tom. And so it's a pretty lean ship, and they do a great job managing that. So I have very little to do with that. But at the end of the year, I do also receive a distribution from the profits. And then the newest company, Enemy, the sunglass company, that is kind of a work in progress where I don't take any money out of that, just trying to figure out what I need to do in order to build it and build that brand it's kind of like my baby
0: well like, as soon as we i guess reel back and we'll go step by step and that way we can hit on the main drivers because i don't want to confuse everybody with talking about every business because then it might be a six hour interview you know with you so well yeah i appreciate you walking us down i guess just so everyone understands you need a decent amount of
1: subscribers
0: on youtube to make money from it right
1: it really depends. A lot of people think that, oh, you have a lot of subscribers, that automatically equals or equates to a lot of money. The way that you make money on YouTube is you either need a ton of views. It's not necessarily about the subscribers, but you get paid based on a every thousand views, you get a dollar amount typically. For me, it's around like four or $5 per thousand views. And so if you do the math, you really need a lot of views in order to generate a livable amount of revenue from YouTube based solely on views. Where most people sort of monetize YouTube once you develop a large enough following is going to be from the sponsorships. If you do have an audience, sponsorships are a great way to monetize a channel. But then also most creators are trying to figure out a way to make money off of that. And so they will very quickly realize that you need to have some type of auxiliary vertical or business off of YouTube, whether or not it's a Merch store, or it's something else. Typically, creators are very quickly realizing that you need to sort of figure out a way to make money off of the platform because trying to just make money through YouTube views in terms of advertising is hard, it's challenging, and it's not as lucrative as the sponsorship end of things.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Guideline. Think your business is too small to offer a 401k? It's not. Guideline provides easy and affordable 401k plans for small businesses and startups. Whether you're offering an employee retirement plan for the first time or want to make changes to your current retirement benefits, they design a plan to fit your needs. You can get set up in as little as 10 minutes. Guideline handles the admin, compliance testing, record keeping, and investment management. There are no separate setup costs. No added investment fees. And monthly fees start at only $39 plus $8 for each employee. And they integrate with popular payroll providers. Over 13,000 companies use Guideline to manage their 401ks. With the Guideline 401k, you and your employees can save money while saving for retirement. For a limited time and for eligible employers only, if you go to Guideline.com forward slash millionaire and tell them you came from our podcast you can get a hundred dollar gift card but that's only as long as you do not currently offer a 401k plan for your employees when you start your 401k plan with guideline that's guideline.com forward slash millionaire to get a 401k for your business don't forget that's guideline.com forward slash millionaire and tell them that our podcast sent you I recently started reading a book called Believe in People, not only because they're sponsoring this ad spot, but because the book is filled with compelling examples of how to solve really big problems. Believe in People by Charles Koch and Brian Hooks is the collected stories of social entrepreneurs who created uncommon solutions for the common good. A former gang leader turned peace broker in his community, an amateur athlete who created one of the most innovative recovery programs in the country. Learn what inspired them to make things better in their communities and how they're still discovering new and better ways of doing things. It's a message of hope in a time of crisis and optimism in time of division. For anyone looking around the country right now and thinking there has to be a better way, well, this book is for you. Pre-order the book today at believeinpeoplebook.com forward slash inspiration and gain access to bonus content ahead of its November 17th publication. Again, that's believeinpeoplebook.com forward slash inspiration. That's why it sounds like you have multiple companies is just people ask for these certain things and you're like, hey, why don't I start a company if this is what my audience is asking for?
1: Yeah, I just kind of figure things out as I go. There was never some like big grand plan where I'm gonna make videos and I'm gonna build an audience and then I'm gonna start selling products. All of my businesses have just been sort of like an evolution where I've always been interested in hair products. I started doing videos about grooming and talking about hair product. And so one day I was just like, you know, I wasn't happy with all the hair products that were on the market. And this was back in 2013 when, there weren't as many as there are now. And so I went to a friend of mine who was a hairstylist and I said, hey, do you have any connections that I could maybe go and talk to a lab to see about some products and developing my own? And so it was just really me just scratching different curiosities. And it wasn't, like I said, there was never any overarching like master plan that I'm some really smart guy that understands like, oh, if I sold this product, it's got a great margin. And I think my audience would do that. And they're going to buy a ton of it. Everything has been just sort of through me sort of scratching an itch or solving my own problem. And I think that that for a lot of creators is something that if you do that, if you figure out a business or solve your own problem or something that you're searching for, you know, a lot of times people are going to be very interested in that as long as the product is good. And it's not just you trying to do some crazy like money grabber thing, something of that effect.
0: All right. Well, why don't we figure out how you got started? I was looking at your LinkedIn. I really just thought you were a New York guy based on Shark Tank and seeing your look and you know your suave, if you will, when you went on Shark Tank. I'm like, there's no doubt this guy lives in New York. But like you said, you're basically in Atlanta, Georgia today, right?
1: Yep. I'm in Atlanta. I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia. Went to college at WVU, West Virginia University majored in business, knew that I wanted to start a fitness center. And my buddy, Terry, who actually is my partner in Menfluential Media right now, his father told me, if you're looking to start a business, move to Atlanta. This was right after the Olympics. Atlanta was booming. And I knew that I just didn't want to go back to Philadelphia. A lot of my friends were doing what they were working blue collar jobs. They were in auto sales. And I just knew that I needed to get out of there and sort of figure something else out. And so I moved to Atlanta, kind of sight unseen.
0: How about going to West Virginia from Philadelphia? That's kind of random, too, it seems like.
1: It is. But the reason I went was my mom was married at the time and they were planning on buying a property in West Virginia. And so the whole idea was that it was going to be really affordable in-state tuition. And, you know, I grew up fairly poor. It was the idea that since I had to pay for college myself, okay, I'm going to go to West Virginia University. It's going to be really affordable in terms of in-state tuition. Now, the caveat to that is that even being out of state, West Virginia was more affordable than pretty much any state school for Pennsylvania. They also had a great business program. And so, once again, I decided on West Virginia without ever visiting it. The first day I saw West Virginia was when I got dropped off by my parents. And West Virginia, it was a great school.
0: Okay. Well, did you end up getting that in state tuition or no?
1: No, they never ended up moving. <laughs> so,
0: but you're saying like no matter what, it still was ended up being cheaper, but it, yeah, gotcha.
1: Yeah. West Virginia was a great value. They have a really substantial business program. And I always knew from the age of 12 that I wanted to own my own business. And so it wasn't really a function of, oh, I want to go to this school because, you know, I had family that went. It was simply, I just need to get a degree so I can get out and start a business.
0: Okay. And so you get out of West Virginia in the late 90s?
1: Yep. Uh, I graduated in
0: 98. Okay. And then so take us along. You go to Atlanta. And then if you want to tell us your story from there.
1: Yeah. So after college, I finished college in four years and I decided to move to Atlanta. I moved down here. I wanted to own a fitness center. That was the only thing that I've wanted to do since the age of 12. And so I moved down here, didn't know what anybody, I didn't know what to do, but I decided to get a job at a health club, Bally's Fitness, and be a, actually at the time I was in sales. While I was in college, I did get a certification as a personal trainer, but they weren't hiring for trainers, but they were hiring for salespeople. So I took a job and I was a terrible health club salesman, horrible. But while I was there, I met a gentleman who wanted to open a nutrition store. And so he asked me if I wanted to help him open a nutrition store. And I said, absolutely. It wasn't necessarily a fitness center, but it was a business and I was super excited. And so we, we ended up opening a nutrition store, quickly expanded two stores and then three stores. And I ended up leaving that business because at the time, this was back in the early, I guess it was 2000s. And he wanted to sell some products that were not necessarily kosher with the government. And so I decided that it was in my best interest to not go to prison. And that's what I was worried about. And so I ended up leaving and getting a job at a fitness Center as a personal trainer, but something interesting happened while I was at the nutrition store. I met a woman and helped her lose a 100 pounds. One day she came to me. She said, I want to help other people the way that you help me. Would you be interested in opening a personal training studio with me? And I said, Absolutely. Like this was it, this was my dream. And so we ended up deciding to join together to open a personal training studio. We signed the lease on September 11th. It's the September 11th. That should have been an omen as to how that business was going to unfold. We ended up opening a personal training studio and it was successful. Successful as a personal trainer, training studio could be. I was working like 80, 90 hours a week. I was making literally $24,000 a year, but it didn't matter because I was super excited that I was finally living out my dream from the age of 12. Long story short, we ended up deciding that in order for us to sort of go to that next level, we wanted to start a franchise. So we came up with this really great business idea in the fitness industry where it was going to be a group fitness facility called Move It that we were going to end up franchising. So we created everything. We had all the documents made. We opened our first sort of prototype studio and we raised some money during this time. We got some loans from some banks. We had some investors, friends and family, and we raised, I think it was like $150,000. We took lines of credit out, And we just knew that it was going to be crazy successful. Long story short, we ended up having a franchise open house to try and sell these franchises. And the first night we had interest in like five franchises. And this was back in the day when companies like Curves, For those of you who are a little bit older might remember Curves, where it was a group fitness facility that was designed specifically for women that weren't comfortable going to a gym. Well, our concept was to have classes, a group fitness facility for parents to come with their kids, for seniors, for people that weren't necessarily the gym goers. Our slogan or name was Move It Fitness for the Rest of Us. And we had cute classes. Our kids' classes was called Muscle Sprouts. And we really just did a really good job of branding it. But unfortunately, there were some unfortunate things that we found out about one of our investors when we had this franchise open house actually the next day. And we, long story short, had some legal fighting between one of our investors and my business partner. And we ended up just being broke and decided to shut the business down. At that point, I believe I ended up having, I was driving a beer cart at a country club just to put gas in my car. That was probably the lowest point of my <laughs> my life because it wasn't necessarily that the business was failing and that I was having to file bankruptcy, but it was that I didn't know what my next step was. I didn't have a plan B. From the age of 12, the only thing I wanted to do was own a fitness center. And so being faced with the reality that this is going to not work and I needed to figure something else out, that was the hardest point of my career and of my life, honestly, at that point.
0: Yeah.
1: And what year was that? That was in 2006.
0: Okay. So basically five years, it seems like that the fitness thing that you were doing was doing okay until the end of it.
1: It was doing okay. And by okay, I was barely paying my bills. (laughs) So I wasn't getting rich off of it by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And so what happened with your investor? That's a story that I'm not necessarily comfortable going into. It was just a disagreement with he and my business partner. She wanted to have him out of the business and he had more money to fight it. And it turned into a very toxic situation.
0: Right. I'm just trying to figure out from any listener's perspective what they could learn, right? Even if you don't give me the details of that, they ended up suing each other and she wanted him out, but he's like, no, I'm not going to go out. And yeah, I'm just trying to see if I try to go get money from somebody to make sure we don't make the same mistake, you know?
1: Yeah. I guess the takeaway is really know who you're taking money from And who you're going in business with, because when you start a business and you are taking, whether or not it's friends and family money or angel investing, really understanding who you're going in business with, because they are going to be owners of your business if you are going to be giving them equity. And so the individual did have a substantial amount of equity in the business that we gave away in in order to do this business. And so it was just not the right fit. And we didn't know that it wasn't the right fit until things kind of got a little bit further down the road. Also do background checks on people. That's another sort of takeaway that I learned back from those days is do background checks on people just to know who you're getting in business with, who you're taking money from. And people should do them on you as well, because everybody seems like a really super great guy. And when you need money and when you become sort of desperate for money, you're willing to overlook a lot of things.
0: Well, do you do that today with your other companies and your other investors?
1: No. That's what I was
0: going (laughs) to (laughs) ask.
1: No, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't. And I don't think they did it on me either, which is so stupid. But apparently I learned everything the hard way. But luckily for me, things have worked out pretty well since then.
0: Right. How about the other investors in your other companies? I mean, do you feel like you knew them? or I guess know them better than the guy that you had an issue with?
1: Well, yeah, the one is my best friend from high school, so I've known him forever. The other one is a skincare company. That was just a weird situation that kind of just worked itself out. It was just right time, right situation. I did not do a background check on them. And this is one thing I will say about the fitness center going out of business and the investors. It was, here's the thing. I don't think that anybody is a bad, I didn't think that anybody was a bad person. Nobody did anything maliciously. It was just my business partner was an older woman than I was. I was young at the time. I think I was in my late twenties, early thirties. She was in her forties going on 50. I didn't see it at the time, but she was very headstrong and had her way of doing things. And the investor was also headstrong and had his way of doing things and so the two of them very much just clashed and so it was just not the right it was like oil and water and i often say this if somebody else would have taken our idea and run with it they would have been wildly successful it didn't work because we were the ones running it we were not the ones that should have been doing that business it just it was doomed from the start i feel
0: and so for you you said you actually had to file bankruptcy and did your partner do too
1: Yeah. At the time, because when you start a business and you take these loans, you know you are a guarantor on whether or not it's a bank loan or the equipment lease or the lease for the space. And so at the time I was so broke, I was taking money off of my credit cards to pay my staff. That's how broke I was. Yeah. So I definitely had to file bankruptcy. I had, I think I bankrupted like three to $400,000 of loans that I was a guarantor on. And did your
0: business partner, the woman and the investor that got in a fight, No, 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 no. The investor is fine. Oh, he didn't? Yeah, because he had enough money. I guess he didn't sign those loans only... Okay, just so everyone understands that. So you two signed the loans because you were the one starting the business. This guy put in money, but he didn't sign any of the loans.
1: Correct. He was just an owner in the entity. But in order for us to do this, we ended up having some bank loans and things of that nature just to try to get this business off the ground that we ended up having to file bankruptcy. And then the other thing with bankruptcy, like say we had investors in this business, if you don't file bankruptcy and you know the investors can come after you for money or your house or whatever it may be and so there was no other option at that point if i had another option if i could have sold kidneys both of my kidneys <laughs> in order to keep that business running i would have but i was just out of options and like i said i was driving a beer cart at that point in my life
0: and you said this was your lowest point
1: absolutely it wasn't being broke i'd been broke my whole life it was just not knowing what the next step was and When you have the idea of this is what success means from the age of 12, and it was one-dimensional and I had tunnel visions, when that went away, I didn't know what was next. I didn't have a plan B. And so that was the scariest and the lowest point for me. It wasn't that I was broken filing bankruptcy. It was just I didn't know what was next.
0: Well, and it's a failed the business that you wanted to do. You finally got to it. It was not like you're in the vitamin store, like you saw that it's a stepping stone. You actually got to it and then you had to file bankruptcy. Exactly. Yeah. What did you do from there? I mean, did you have roommates? Did did you have friends? Were they looking down on you or like, how was the personal life?
1: No, my personal life, I was living with and dating a future wife. She was supportive throughout the whole time. I mean, she had been with me from, I mean, my wife and I have been together now, I guess it's been 17 years. I mean, so it's been a long time. So I was living with her and she was very understanding, but it was very embarrassing for me which is one of the reasons why, you know, I was at the driving the beer cart, just trying to put gas in the car and give her a little bit of money for groceries and rent. But I knew she was the one for me because she, just to be with me, she had a great job making hundred thousand dollars a year, but she ended up taking a job at the golf course with me on the weekend just so that she could be with me. And so that was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. So this is 2006. And so what happens now? I mean, like I said, at least you had that going too, because that really does matter. That's what I always say is like, when I talk about personal stuff with our, you know, whoever I'm interviewing, you had that in your life, even though the business was sucking, like if both were bad, it'd be even worse, but it sounded like at least you had that in your
1: corner. No, I did. She was a rock. She was my support system, but I was super embarrassed. I mean, it was horribly embarrassed. And I ask her now, like, I think people do wonder about that. It's like, well, why did you stay with him when he was this broke? She's like, well, I loved him. And, you know, I believed in him. And it wasn't that I wasn't working. It wasn't that I was sitting on the couch with my hand in my pants eating Cheetos. I was trying to start a business that just didn't work out. She said that she knew that I'd figure something out. But She's not an entrepreneur. And so she didn't understand the drive, the desire to figure it out and be successful and work for myself. I mean, she had a great job. She worked, you know, nine to five. She had a 401k. She wanted stability and that's fine. A lot of people and the majority of people are not suited for entrepreneurship because it takes a different mindset. It takes a different stomach. There are countless sleepless nights. A lot of people just see the result. A lot of people just see, oh, you know, you figured it out and they see the result of the pain and the suffering and what you have to go through and endure in order to reach that point at which you're actually able to call yourself or consider yourself a success.
0: And you brought up something that's important too. anyone who's listening is even though this business didn't succeed, it matters about your drive more than anything. If you're, you're the type of person who's listening and you realize like you're not a go-getter or whatever and just sit there, right? Just because a business went wrong. I mean, you're screwed because you're not going to be, you know, you have to overcome those obstacles. So that's the main th- I guess I could see that too from her or, or hopefully that's what people see in me is even if things aren't going well financially, then... I saw that drive. I'm not going to give up. Right. And I guess, like you said, that's what she saw in you. So, from there, what ended up happening?
1: So, it was a funny story. At that point, once I filed bankruptcy, I started doing some personal training still on the side where I would go into people's homes. And that was, you know, what I still knew, what I was still good at. But during that time, I thought to myself, actually, I got to back up a second. When I had the fitness center, I met a guy, one of my clients, his name was Steve. Steve, to this day, he's one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And he came to me one day before I ever, the fitness center went out of business. He said, hey, I got a hot date. I don't know what to wear. <laughs> and he's like, do you think you could come over to my place and help me pick something? And I said, sure, I'll come over. And if we don't you know, see what you need, why don't we just go shopping? And while we're at it, we need to go get your hair cut. and your nose hair is a disaster. I didn't realize what I was doing, but that was kind of like the foundation of an image consulting business. And so I really enjoyed it he went on the date what well, it was successful he went back to work and one of his coworkers actually noticed they said hey you look great what did you do and he said well there's this guy that i know that took me shopping and she said do you think he'd take my husband shopping and it was at that point that i realized this might be something And so when the fitness center went out of business and I was personal training to make ends meet, I decided to try a men's image consulting firm. I didn't even really know what it was. This was back in 2006. And it was around the time when like the show like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was going on. And I didn't even realize what it was I was doing, but I came to realize it was image consulting. And so my assistant from the fitness center, I was still in touch with her and in contact with her. I said, hey, do you think you could build me a website? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 25% of whatever sales we'd make. I can't afford to pay you, but maybe you could build this website. And so she built the website. And this was back in 2006. And we started experimenting with advertising, paid advertising on Google. And this was back when you could actually advertise on Google and bid on keywords and not have to spend $500 per click. And I think at the time my budget was like $500. I had saved up enough money. I'm like, oh, let me just see if I can make some money from this. And so I ended up getting clients from all over the country that would fly in. And I faked it till I made it kind of thing and was charging like $1,500 per day to work with these guys and help them. A lot of them were newly divorced guys that just didn't know what to wear or they didn't know what hairstyle was going to look great on them. And so I started a, a men's image consulting firm. And then in 2008, my wife gave me a video camera. Actually, she gave me the camera in 2007 for Christmas. I didn't know anything about technology. I thought that she just wanted to get freaky and film some stuff. That was not the case. And I didn't know what to do. So the camera literally sat in the box for about a year. And then one day I just heard about YouTube. I didn't really know what YouTube was. Like I said, I am not a tech savvy person. I went on, I'm like, you know what? Why don't I see if I can make some videos and put it out there online and upload a video. So I did, I filmed the video and I went to JC Penney and I bought all these oversized like jackets, and was wearing like a big tie with like a big Windsor knot, because that's what I thought image consultants wore. And I started, I made a video and I put it out there. It was really quick and just said, hi, my name's Aaron Marino from Alpha M Image Consulting. If you guys have questions, I'm here to help you answer your style questions. From that one video, I got a comment. It was a guy asking me about, hey, I'm a bigger guy, I don't know what to wear and it was at that moment that i was like okay this is it i found my voice and i was hooked i felt validated and i think that ultimately was what i realized at that point i had been searching for my entire life was just to feel validated and like i mattered and when i started posting youtube videos i found a home i found a voice i found people that were actually interested in what i had to say and it was that's all she wrote and and from there it was kind of the rest is history as they say
0: when you started bidding on google keywords what keywords were you looking for? Are you called an image consultant or is there something else that's savvier for these guys to find you and fly in to, for you to help them?
1: That's a great question. I don't remember what the keywords that we were bidding on. I believe it was image consulting, style help, what to wear on a date, like things of this nature. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It's been so long. I can't remember though off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's no, fine. Because
0: it sounded like you didn't even know what you were. So that's the reason I was trying to bring that out. It's like, okay, what were these guys? Looking
1: I knew that the technical name was image consultant.
0: Right. But like, if I got divorced, I wouldn't
1: know to call it image consultant. You know what I'm Yeah, no, 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 totally. So there were other keywords in there that we were bidding on, which is why these people were obviously finding me. And so it was a lot of fun, but it was definitely not a scalable business.
0: And so what did Alpha M stand for?
1: Okay. So when I was deciding on a name for my image consulting business, I knew that I wanted to specialize exclusively in men. I didn't want to deal with women. And so I was trying to think of, okay, what is a name that says men without saying like, you know, king of the jungle. And so I played around with a few different things, alpha male. I just felt like that was a little bit too overt. And so alpha M, it was a little bit more stylized. I was like, yeah, I kind of dig that. And so that's sort of how it came to be. I was just looking for something that said man without being too like macho.
0: Yeah, how did you know what to charge? Because you said you're doing fifteen hundred bucks a day.
1: Threw it out there. I had no idea what the charge. Most of the other image consultants at the time, the other image consultants that, that were out there, it was all these like older women and like big hats and like big flowers on their lapel, right? All these like women that look super glamorous that were probably like used to watch like the show Dallas and things of that nature. That's exactly what you would think was out there, and so. I looked at some of them. I saw some of them were charging, and I thought, you know what? Let me just put $1,500. It was more than I had ever made. Like, literally, I was making $2,000 a month when I had my personal training studio. And so, $1,500, like, wow, are you kidding me? Like, let me just try it. And I think it was part of that price psychology where people saw that I was more expensive even than some of these other people, but people perceived. The fact that I was expensive as knowing what I was doing when the truth is I had no clue what I was doing and I was just kind of winging it until I had a few clients and sort of learned the ropes a little bit.
0: But even when you got started, you must have felt confident if some, I mean, I would, after you helped one dude and he already got a reference or referral from that, I'd be like, okay, you know if you have style or not, right? And I'd feel like if I'm a newly divorced guy, I'd much rather go with a dude who looks like he has it all together versus like you're saying, your competition and you're saying women in big floppy hats or whatever, which I could imagine. So I feel like that probably helped a lot. Absolutely. And you said you're doing 1500 bucks a day. And thanks for comparing it because that's what I was wondering. So you're almost making in a day what you would make in a month whenever these guys would fly in.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. I'm like, I can't like it was crazy. I still not still. But I mean, back then when I would get those people to actually do it, I would almost have to like hold my breath when I'd say like, okay, so how would you like to pay? It was so abstract to me that you could actually make $1,500 in a day. It was mind-blowing to me. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't something where I had a client every day or even every week. I mean, they were sort of hit or miss, one a month, two a month, possibly three a month, but that was the rare exception.
0: And when you're paying back then, do you ask for money at the end? Do you ask it for up front? And obviously now it's way easier to take payments, but I'm just curious how you're able to do it then.
1: No, I would ask for 50% upfront to reserve your date and then 50% at the time of service. And typically it would be checks. I did actually have a credit card machine that I had from the fitness center that I still had. And so I was able to run people's credit cards for 50% deposit. I had a little terminal at my desk at my home and I'd punch in their numbers and get them a receipt and mail it to them. And so when
0: you're taking them to these clothing stores in Buckhead or is that in Atlanta or where?
1: Actually, no, it didn't start at Buckhead because I was still very of the mindset. I always shopped at discount stores. And so I've always been very sort of savvy growing up. I always wanted to look good. And so I would shop at thrift stores. We didn't have any money. And so I would go to thrift stores and sort of look for things. And so I was taking guys to the gap. I was taking them to discount stores like Marshall's and TJ Maxx. But I quickly found that that was not a very effective use of time because if you found something that was cool and it didn't fit, there wasn't another size option picking through a lot of those things and going to those stores. I also would go to, there's a store called K&G Men's Warehouse that sold like super affordable menswear that was really not that great in terms of quality. But at the time, it was as good as I knew. And then as I sort of evolved, and that was the stuff that I was wearing. And so if it was good enough for me, you know, I figured it was good enough for these guys. And these guys were not anything in terms of they weren't very style conscious. And so if I told them, hey, these jeans from Sears are going to be great and they look amazing. They're like, okay, cool. And they're only 12 bucks. Awesome.
0: I can take it unless it was like the guy who was emailed me before we got on the call. <laughs> who was, was just making fun of me. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> how,
1: how miserable that you're just writing. I mean, how much time do you have to have? I don't have time for this shit. Like, it's amazing.
0: Even when I started off on Reddit, people were making fun of me. They're like, you're going to suck. Like, you're like, we have enough entrepreneur podcasts. I'm like, okay. Well, here. He said, awesome, great show. I get the struggle with making money with the podcast, but the begging for donations is kind of lame. There's got to be another way to grow your sponsorship or other revenue streams that's more productive. And I said, hey, Dave, your email's kind of lame. You criticize the way I do things, but give no actionable steps on what Dave Murray would do. It got better <laughs> advice, then I'm happy to listen to it. So that's what I said. No, it's, it's it's a good reply. I mean, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that info was useful for you. What I found most useful is understanding like shit. <sighs> well. I guess we'll never know. But if you want to know what I can help you out with on our one-on-one Patreon call, then become a member today. And Okay. So yeah, I guess the guys coming in, I could imagine they basically have zero style you're saying. So if they're paying you to do it versus a guy who might have some style I could see if they're paying 1500 bucks, like, oh, why are we going to an outlet or whatever like this? But I guess that makes sense. You're like, hey, you don't have to sell them on why this is a good store to go to. You're like, dude, this is where I go. And I guess you could also spend it like wherever a gap is, if there's one there. I mean, especially when you're getting started, you're like, oh, there's going to be one in your city too. So
1: see, you're ready to set up shop. You've got exactly, <laughs> this is exactly my strategy. And the other thing is that these guys, like I was more stylish than these guys, but I wasn't anything like to write home about. Yeah, I did end up working with one client specifically that I remember. His name was Alan. He was a gay man who was an anesthesiologist. So he had a ton of money. He had a ton of clothes, and all of his clothes were super high end. And I went in and I was totally like overwhelmed because I'm like, he's going to finally realize that I'm a fraud. I'm going to tell him to go to the Gap, but he's shopping at Neiman Marcus. And so it was a super scary experience, but we ended up working through and Sometimes you just got to bite your tongue and just go through it.
0: And again, this was 2006, all this, when you switched from the bankruptcy to doing this. Yeah,
1: 2006, 2007, 2008. Eight was when I started my YouTube channel. And so that was when things kind of, I wouldn't say necessarily took off, but I started realizing that I needed some auxiliary products. And I wrote, a book called The Male Style Guide, because I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot more of an audience out there that can't afford to fly to me. And I need to figure out some other way of getting money from people. And so I created an ebook. And then I also had some virtual services, they were a disaster, because I really didn't have any technological skills. And so trying to be like, send them links, it was a disaster. I honestly, Austin, I have been a disaster the majority of my professional career.
0: Well, I mean, it must have felt great that you're finally getting some momentum, but it's still, how much do you think you're making in 2008?
1: Oh God, not much. I mean, maybe $40,000. Okay.
0: But it's better than being negative, right? In bankruptcy. Oh my goodness.
1: (laughs) I was killing it. Are you kidding me?
0: You sound like a billionaire at that point, right?
1: 40, yeah, I was making it rain. I was tree killing it back then. I didn't make $100,000 a year until, actually I made $100,000 a year. The first year I did that was I started a membership website and this was, God, I don't remember the date exactly or when, but it was probably within seven years ago, probably. I would say that i that's when I started a membership website thinking, okay, well, all these people are liking my content on YouTube. What if I had a website? I charged a membership. I posted private content there and they could come in and read articles and see more content. So I started a membership website. I don't remember the date specifically, but I started this and I was creating, I was putting out three videos, private videos a day, Monday through Friday. And I realized very quickly that this was not a sustainable model just because I was drowning in content. I decided, okay, well, if I, but I was making $100,000 a year. And so this was more money than I'd ever dreamed I could make. And so I made the decision, okay, well, what if I just gave away all the content and tried to monetize this in a different way? And so that was a very scary thing to do, but it ended up working out okay.
0: Okay. So basically you did this all up until, I guess you're backdating to about 2012, 2013, when you said you did the membership. Yep. So up till then, was it just slowly growing alpha M, I guess the whole way?
1: Yeah, I was selling things. Like I started selling like beaded bracelets, and the beaded bracelets business, I was stringing them myself. So like I would charge like twenty dollars for like these beaded bracelets. I would go to the bead store and I would ask people like, okay, what is your wrist measurement? And I literally was sitting there stringing bracelets at night, charging twenty bucks. But I was like, this is awesome. People are paying me twenty dollars. They only cost me two. I had sold and tried selling different things. I tried selling some apparel where I would get some shirts from you know, one of these companies like Alpha Broder that sells like the blanks. And I would put my logo on the sleeve. I started trying to sell apparel, but that was also not something that I really was passionate about. And it was just a pain in the butt because apparel is tough because if it doesn't fit, they send it back and then you resell it and the inventory. It was kind of a nightmare.
0: I've been studying at e-commerce a lot and they said the worst thing you can do is clothing because of exactly what you said is that even if I've got a sweater, I need small, medium, large. And then if you want to talk about different colors, too, right? Yep. You just start adding it on versus a pencil like, OK, this one product.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, apparel is a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. And it was for me. I mean, I know, obviously. A lot of people are very successful with it, but yeah, I mean, you don't think about all the variables and okay, you do have to pull the trigger and buy like double X's or double X large. Like, What if you don't sell the 50 double X's in lime green? Like, It's there and it's just wasted money and it takes a lot of money in terms of investment and capital.
0: I had a recent interview where a guy was saying he had a retail, basically kind of shoe store and basically like Nike or whatever, you get the best sizes, right? For men and think about how many different sizes and SKUs there are. But then they would also make you buy maybe size 15, size 16, size 17, you know, and you had to buy it, even though you might not have anyone who ever wears it. So that's another thing just locking you in. So again, yeah, the apparel versus you doing it as a service, right? is way better than you going to buy it and doing everything else as far as like risk reward, it sounds like absolutely so do we want to jump back in i guess like i said 2012 2013 that's we kind of stopped there i think with the membership and that's the first year you finally hit in six figures personally
1: yeah i hit six figures and honestly when i made a hundred thousand dollars that was probably like life was amazing at that point because all my bills they were totally paid so when i had five thousand dollars in my bank account that's when i had fuck you money because like for my entire life i had been struggling so much I remember it like it was yesterday, I $5,000 in the bank and I was like, fuck it, right? I can pay my bills for the month. I'm good. And that was the most amazing point for me because at that point, it was the first time in my life I didn't think about money. And I remember like one day I just got done at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what ha- I didn't think about money today. I didn't stress about paying my bills. And the next day, same thing happened. And it was at this point that everything in my life got better and I was actually able to be more creative it's like things smelled better, they tasted better because for my entire life, I was so focused on making enough to pay my bills and going from you know hustle to hustle to hustle to hustle to try and just make ends meet that when I had $5,000 in the bank, I didn't think about money and that's when I was able to use that brain power, all the brain power that was used for worrying about money, I was able to use that for other things like being creative and thinking about what I wanted to do, how to do it and so that was the point of my life when everything got a lot better.
0: But at that point, if you're making 100000 like net, shouldn't you have a lot more or were they all going out the door?
1: It was before I was making 100000
0: So that was in the early 2000s or something like that you're talking about or mid-2000s when you finally got 5000 bucks.
1: Yeah, it was probably 2010.
0: Right. Yeah. Because again, this is the whole idea so everyone understands. It's like, how many years did you have to struggle just to make ends meet, right? Especially with any social media today, it's like, they want it now, now, now. And you think you're going to have a business be successful right now. And it's like, No, that's actually not how it works. And that's why I started doing the podcast, to be honest. But it was also from your perspective, did you ever feel like less of a man or anything like that of your wife still bringing in so much money and you're like, I'm hustling and
1: you're not bringing in as much money? Totally. 100%. That was the thing. I mean, for the majority of our relate, not the majority of our relationship, but for a long period of time, I mean, she was the breadwinner and it was. Embarrassing, you know, as a man, especially as a man who has goals and wants to, you know, provide, it was humiliating, honestly. And you don't want your woman to, or your wife, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend for that matter, you worry that they think less of you because you're not making the money. Because as guys, a lot of the time in our society, we are valued based on you know what we do for a living or what car you're driving or whatever it may be. And as an entrepreneur, when you are struggling, when you're starting, it's not super sexy. Nobody wants to interview you for a podcast when you're making $5 an hour. And so it's hard. And that's something that you have to be honest with yourself if you're willing to go through that. We had mentioned where we talked a little bit about how being an entrepreneur is not for everybody and it's okay. I think you really need to be just honest with yourself. Are you willing to do what you need to do because it's not sexy and it's not glamorous? Getting to the iceberg analogy where you see the success, but you don't see all of the sleepless nights, all of the working at Starbucks for health insurance. You don't see all that stuff. It's hard. And are you willing to do that in order to ultimately be successful? And so it's not right for everybody. But if it is and you can make it, I'm here a testament to the fact that it is amazing and can out just outshine your wildest dreams. Right. Cause people now they might only know you from
0: Shark Tank or see your video and they're like, oh, he must have had it easy. Exactly. Super <laughs> easy. I'm the overnight success that took, you know, 20 years. <laughs> Did any of that drive you? Like, what personally kept driving you if it took that long to like kind of reach your goal? It seems like. Yeah.
1: Growing up poor, really, kind of, I think is as when I look back. I think about growing up poor. I remember my high school girlfriend's mother. And this is such a random thing. I felt inferior because we were poor. And so when I think back about the people that I sort of feel like I wanted to prove wrong or like I wasn't worthless because you know I didn't have a lot of money, it goes like really bizarre and deep, I guess, for me. For me, it's just been just this constant struggle, not struggle, but I've once I sort of tasted a little bit of it, now I'm like, all right, I got to keep working like crazy hard because I know that people are trying to take it away from me. Or at least I have that paranoia that people are breathing down my neck. And if I am not working, if I'm not focusing, then I'm going to get soft. I'm going to lose it and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, because all of us need different drivers too to push us, you know. So I don't know if you like printed stuff off or if someone said you were going to be a failure when you grew up, and you're like again want to prove them wrong. There's nothing wrong with that because that's probably my main driver, to be honest. Like I still remember all the time when people said I couldn't do something or whatever. I'm like, okay, fuck you. I still remember it right now, like, you know, so that drives me, but it's like, I need that little bit of taste of success. Like you were saying, once you got some with alpha M, it seems like, okay, finally, you're getting some momentum that's showing you you're going the right way. And Now, if I start applying my work ethic towards that, then hopefully it should snowball into something successful.
1: And I think you just nailed it right there, Austin. I mean, that is the number one thing that you need to be successful. It's not smarts, It's not intelligence. I'm a testament to that. I'm not the dumbest guy, but I'm definitely not the smartest guy. But one thing that I'm able to do is stay focused and work hard when it's not sexy and when you're not getting rewarded. Everything's all great when people are patting you on the back and saying, great job, and you're getting the admiration from people. But do you have the ability to focus and work hard when it's not fun, when you're not getting or seeing? the results or seeing your bank account grow, are you able to work hard and stay disciplined when it's not sexy and when it's not fun? And it really does boil down to work ethic. I have a tremendously strong work ethic. And I think that is the number one characteristic that you need in order to be successful, regardless of what it is. Because the truth is that if you have that work ethic... You might not be successful in your first try at whatever you're trying to do or your second or your third, but if you're still willing to put in the time and show up every day and you're doing the work and you're trying to figure it out, eventually you will figure that thing out. Something else that I was talking to somebody the other day about is sometimes passion just isn't enough. I think a lot of times in today's world, you hear all this stuff about, you know, follow your passion, follow your passion. Your passion can steer you wrong, and your passion can make you do a lot of things that might not necessarily be in the best financial interest for your future. Passion is great, but you also need to figure out a way to turn whatever you're interested in into a business that actually can pay your bills. Follow the money as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. You might not be the smartest guy, Aaron, but you're the smartest guy on this interview, so don't worry.
1: (laughs) I don't know that that's true either.
0: So. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Again, that's one thing I try to emphasize, and I think it makes sense in your story here. So can we go over this 2013 after the membership site, kind of quickly go through sure. where you are today and how you got there?
1: Yeah. So after the membership website sort of went away, I started.
0: Oh, wait. So why did it go? Oh, because you're putting out too much. Yeah, I was. it was. Yeah. Because even now you
1: said, yeah, three videos a week three videos a day. I was putting out five days a week. So 15 pieces of content a week. And I did that for over a year. So I decided, okay, this isn't going to work. So I was going to give all the content away. I was going to try and sell products on the website that ended up being a disaster, just dealing with drop shippers and trying to manage that. So I ended up starting to get some people reaching out about advertising on my YouTube channel. Hey, would you like to talk about this? Or, Hey, if, would you talk about these shoes or these jeans or whatever it may be? And so I started doing some paid promotions on advertising before paid promotions were cool. I started doing that and I loved it. It was great. And this was back in, then in 2013, I decided to try and start a, a my own product line. And that's when I started Pete and Pedro. And that was the grooming company. In 2013, I have it written down. On that first year, I made $30,000 for the first full calendar year. But I started Pete and Pedro with only 3000 bucks. It was kind of like my side project, my side hobby and I was amazed that people were actually buying my product. And the first few products that I started were private label products. I went to a company, I went to a bunch of companies, sourced the best, the stuff that I loved the most. And then I basically just ordered 96 units of my core five products. And I built a website and I got a machine from Stamp. Actually, I didn't get a Stamps.com account. I started printing out labels and going to the post office for the first probably year of that business where I would actually You know, when I'd get an order, I would take it to the post office the next day, stand in line, and then finally somebody's like, you know, you can do this from like your desk. And I said, what, really? Found the amazingness of stamps.com and did that myself. But yeah, so I started a grooming company back in 2013. That's when I really started to do more advertising on YouTube. And then 2000, I guess it was 15, I said to my best friend from high school, Terry, he came to my family reunions. I was starting at this point to get a lot of people that were reaching out about advertising. And I was just so tired of dealing with it. I just didn't want to deal with it. I just wanted to make content. I didn't want to have to negotiate my rates or try to sell people on myself. And so I ended up saying to him, I said, Hey, would you be interested possibly in seeing if you could sell me? He was in between jobs. And so, you know, I was like, do you think you could sell advertising for me? And he said, maybe I said, well, how much money do you need in order to pay your bills? And he said, $5,000 a month. I said, Ooh, okay. I'll tell you what, I'll pay you $5,000 a month. And we're going to try this for three months. If it doesn't work, We got to just pay thanks, but no thanks, and let's remain friends. But it was so successful immediately. That is really one of the things that has helped me scale the most. It was when I got out of my own way. I hired somebody that did a better job, and that sole job was to sell advertising for me and negotiate. And that's when everything sort of started to scale for me. Well, did he have a background in that? He was in car sales. He was an amazing car salesman. (laughs) Yeah. But he learned the whole like social media game sort of as one of those things where he was just kind of winging it and trying to figure it out on the fly. And he just did a great job. And if you're a good salesman, you can sell pretty much anything.
0: And so were you still working from, well, I guess I'm just assuming, were you working from home this whole time?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So when you hired your friend, was this your first like kind of real employee, if you will?
1: No, I had some people for Pete and Pedro that were helping me with Pete and Pedro. But yeah, this was my biggest hire, $5,000 a month. That was the most money I was committing to for an employee that I've ever committed to. Everything else was kind of like, you know, commission-based or if I did business or if I did well, it was all tied to sales primarily. This was the first time that I was committing to actually paying somebody a salary. And so, yeah, it was scary.
0: It would eventually go to commission only or like, how did it go?
1: Graham? Yeah. No, he kills it. He does very, very, very well. And so we ended up, it was so successful. And he started selling so much advertising for me that I was telling one of my best friends, Antonio Centeno is another YouTuber. I was like, yeah, man, I hired this guy. He's killing it for me. He's getting more money than I was making. And I don't have to do anything other than like, just do the videos. And he would bring me all the talking points and handle everything. He said, do you think he'd sell advertising for me? And I said, probably. And so we started selling advertising for Antonio and then the three of us came together and thought, you know what, there's more money for these businesses have more money. They need help spending it. And so we already had a really great relationship with a lot of other people in the space of YouTube that were sort of a very similar demographic. And so we decided to create the agency and start helping these brands that we were working with and being successful, spend their money with our friends kind of thing. And we would just take a 25% commission off of whatever deal we negotiated for the people.
0: Okay. So I guess it makes sense why you started the agency and the other line, the the Pete and Pedro, that was kind of your first e-commerce, selling your own stuff, white labeling it, I guess, if you will, and eventually coming up with your own products.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Okay. It makes sense how that naturally happened because again, it happened over years. It's not like you just have all five businesses today, right? And this is, they started last year. It's like, I imagine you put a lot of time into Pete and Pedro kind of when that came out and then you slowly maybe transformed to the agency where you're putting more time in versus that. Is that kind of how it's worked as far as you ground the businesses?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And then two years ago, I hired a gentleman, Mike Levy, who was a friend of mine. He was a marketing director at the thegroominglounge.com. I'd promoted the grooming lounge a bunch of times and he and I had just stayed in contact over the years. And a few years ago, he came to me and said, hey, I think you've got more opportunity with Pete and Pedro. Why don't I come and you hire me and let me help you sort of grow that business? And, and for the first year, I was like, no, 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 no. And then finally, I was like, okay, I need to get out of my own way. I hired him. And what happened? Same thing that happened with my advertising. Everything started to improve and scale because he was able to focus on that and did a better job than I was doing. I guess the story of my career has been get out of your own way and know what you're good at and let other people handle what they're better at than you. And do background checks on them. (laughs) I'm I'm still, yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I'm still waiting. I've still never done one of those, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess in closing up, I appreciate your time. I was going to say, like you said, you were on Shark Tank twice. So I know everyone can go find those, but just a quick summary in case someone hasn't seen it. Like, why did you go on there? Because it sounds like you almost wouldn't need it with your brands here.
1: Yeah. The first time I went on, I developed this e-product or this information product called the Alpha M Style System. The whole story was, it was this series of DVDs. (laughs) Like I said, I'm not tech savvy. DVDs that basically taught guys how to dress. And I made them and my dad and I were having coffee one day. He said, well, how are you going to market it? I go, I don't know. He said, you should go on Shark Tank. And I said, that sounds great. And so I went that evening home. I went to the website. I submitted an application. And that next Monday, I got a call and said, Hey, you know, we'd like to see more information. Here's an application. And I ended up going on for, it was season four that I ended up going on and pitching the Alpha M style system, which they hated. I didn't get a deal. The worst part of it was, I'm not sure it was it's season four. I think they're on season like 12 now or something. And so they hated the idea, but I was like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm going to sell tons of these things. And the night the Shark Tank aired, I sold one unit. And that was the villain. I was like, what? And so I was crushed and I was heartbroken. But then a few months later, I started Pete and Pedro and I thought, okay, this is the business to go on Shark Tank for. At the time, I think I went on, this was then in season seven, I was doing, I think I had done a million dollars in sales for Pete and Pedro over the course of the three years that I had that business. They didn't want to invest in Pete and Pedro. I was doing like $50,000 a month in sales. Like it was doing really well. And they were like, no, the reason why you're able to sell it is because of your YouTube channel. So Barbara and they wanted to invest in my YouTube channel. So I ended up taking a deal. And then as soon as I got done, I'm like, that was a mistake. I don't need their help there. I need help with meeting and Pedro. And so I ended up saying thanks, but no thanks. And so I ended up passing on that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I remember because they switched it up on you. So I guess the first time you went on, just so everyone, it was 2012. So that's kind of when things finally started doing well for you as far as like hitting 100K. And then the second time you went on was twenty fifteen. So it seems like and you went ahead and pitched them on that. And then they wanted to invest in your whole brand, basically to diversify their risk, right? And guess in case it didn't work and be a part of that. And so you just slept on it and you're like, nah, no, thank you.
1: Yeah, it wasn't even sleeping on it. Was I I was on the plane (laughs) on the way home. I'm like, this isn't happening. A hundred thousand bucks. I don't need their help for this. Yeah.
0: I appreciate you stopping by and sharing your story with us. I guess, do you have any last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening now?
1: No, just realize that failure is going to happen. It's a part of it, right? Don't get discouraged. I mean, it sucks, right? Anytime you fail, it sucks. I'm just laying it out there. But it's going to happen. It's about those people that are willing to endure the failures and look for new opportunities. And something else I tell people is success doesn't always look like what you expect it will. And that is definitely the story of my life. If you would have told me 14 years ago that success would mean me standing in a hot room with a video camera talking to people, I would have punched you in the face because that is not what success looked like. It was fitness center.
0: Or me with a microphone right in my face talking to you and doing a podcast.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But, you know, life is funny. And so just be willing to look at the opportunities that are presented to you And just follow your interest. And if something seems like it might work, give it a try. If it does, if you see some things that are positive signs, then keep following that. And if it's not right, then it's okay too. Be smart enough to realize when something's not working, which I was not. And I had to go through the absolute misery and pain of being as low as you could possibly be. Hopefully you are smarter than I am. But yeah, just understand that sometimes success doesn't look like what you expect and it's okay to change mid-journey because this is a journey that we're on.
0: Yeah. And again, rounding it out, when you're talking about hustling and your work ethic, it's just kind of law of averages, right? All of us are going to get knocked down. But if you're the guy who keeps getting up the bat over and over, eventually you're going to hit something. So again, that's the idea. And I think we've kind of seen that in your perseverance and your story. So again, appreciate you sharing it. And I guess if someone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, is there a best way for them to reach out and say thank you?
1: 6 million subscribers, I get a lot of people emailing. And so I love it. But if I answered emails, I would get nothing done. And so I do have some filters set up so that I've got some people that can help me. But I do get the important messages. If you just send an email to info at Alpha M, I will get it.
0: All right. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Aaron.
1: Thanks, Austin. This was awesome. So that I already... That was the original product that I sold on my YouTube channel or that, that I sh- that I used on myself.
0: Do you not want to tell us about this at all?
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Austin. I don't I don't think this interview is...
0: Like, I don't understand that it's like something... Either you're distracted or something's going on. I, I, because I mean, all I'm asking is about... Like, most people are excited about talking about the product that they finally made. And it sounds like you're not excited about it at all.
1: I, I just feel like...
0: So if you want access to this awkward interview and other exclusive interviews that we haven't published on our main feed, well, join our Patreon where you can get exclusive interviews that we already have ready for you. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon or check your episode notes below on how you can help us keep bringing you this awesome show.